Welcome to The Daily Rewind, the show where we recap what happened today in baseball history. And we love to bring you voices from the past, so you can look for them at the end of the show. Now, everything you hear in today's show is on thisdayinbaseball.com, and of course, there's much, much more there. Um, the average day has hundreds of events, birthdays, debuts, and much, much more. Now, my name's Tom Hannon, and if you're new to the pod, what I do is simply go to This Day in Baseball's current day, and I share a few stories. And they could be birthdays, debuts, final games, passings. I love to highlight cool events, ironic history, and some flat-out historic stuff. Before I jump into today's events, if today is a special day, you can easily make it a lifetime memory by commemorating it. You can do this on thisdayinbaseball.com. You simply go to the dedication page, click on the link above the article. Every date, player, season, team, ballpark, it's super easy. And it's just $25 for the year and $50 for a lifetime. And you can put, add in a personal note that is going to show up on that page for a lifetime. Now, if you're interested, you can do it directly on the site. Or if you have questions, please reach out to me directly at tom at thisdayinbaseball.com. All right, so let's get to November 6th. So November 6th, 1974, the contents of a letter by the late Sam Rice to the Hall of Fame are finally revealed in Cooperstown, New York. Now, in the letter, Rice, who instructed the letter to be open only after his death, says that he did successfully make a disputed catch during Game 3 of the 1925 World Series. You talk about hanging on to something, you know, we're talking about 50 years here, right? Um, many thought the letter originally didn't exist or was lost, but it was eventually found, and it was dated July 26, 1965. And it read, It was a cold and windy day. The right field bleachers were crowded with people in overcoats and wrapped in blankets. The ball was a line drive headed for the bleachers towards right center. I turned slightly to my right and had the ball in view all the way, going to top speed and about 15 feet from the bleachers, I jumped high as I could, and I backhanded the ball. It hit the center pocket of the glove, and I had a death grip on it. I hit the ground about five feet from a barrier, about four feet high in front of the bleachers. With all my brakes on, I couldn't stop. So I tried to jump to land in the crowd, but my feet hit the barrier about a foot from the top and I toppled over on my stomach into the first row of the bleaches. I hit my Adam's apple on something, which sort of knocked me out for a few seconds. McNeely arrived about the time and grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me out. Now I remember trotting back to the infield, still carrying the ball about halfway, and then I tossed it to the pitcher's mound. And he says how I wished many times I had kept that ball. But at no time did I lose possession of the ball. Sam Rice. I guess that ends that controversy, right? Um, then um, on November 6, 2001, this was uh, infamous or famous um, for something totally different. Uh, this is when uh, the baseball owners had decided um, that they would give Bud Selig the authority uh, to begin the process of eliminating two teams. Um, and by a 28 to 2 vote. Now, Don Fur, the Players Association, uh, not, a, not a fan of a lot of uh, baseball fans, but um, 
He said, we had hoped that we were in a new era, one that would see a much better relationship between the players and owners. Today's announcement is a severe blow to such hopes. And then he would add, um, it's the worst manner in which to begin the process of negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement. Now, the two teams were the Expos and the Twins. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, if you look back on time, neither team, of course, got uh, eliminated. The Expos ended up, unfortunately, moving to um, Washington, but the Twins built a new ballpark. Um, and baseball is a much stronger game now than it was then. But, you know, when you look back on history, um, you know, in the 90s, um, baseball was struggling a bit um, and they couldn't get attendance up and things were a little dicey for a long time. It's not, it's not, what it's become now, uh, which is a tremendous, uh, you know, tremendous business has done nothing but grow uh, over the past uh, 20 years pre, you know, pre-COVID, COVID kind of, you know, turned things around a little bit. But, you know, you look back on history and you see these things, you know, baseball was struggling a bit. Now, my player of the day today was born on November 6, 1987 in Humboldt, Kansas. This is a quote. He's got a gun concealed about his person. They can't tell me he throws them balls with his arm. Famed writer Ring Lardner wrote of Walter Johnson. Considered by many to be the greatest right-hander in baseball history, Johnson was the hottest thrower of his time. He was a phenomenally successful pitcher on an often terrible Washington Senators team. As a veteran, he anchored the only Senators World Series club in 1924, and he and Christy Mathewson were the first pitchers who were inducted into Baseball's Hall of Fame. Now, Johnson de- debuted uh, August 2nd, 1907 against the Detroit Tigers and Ty Cobb, and for 21 seasons, he toiled in the Capitol, winning a total of 417 games. Now, his career winning percentage is 599. Now, when you want to consider the Senators played 462 baseball over that span, it, that, it, that's just, you know, it, it's an incredible difference of how good he was versus uh, how bad the Senators were. And, you know, I hear, I, you know, I get onto these uh, Facebook groups, right, and people talk about players, you know, uh, they'll mention Nolan Ryan not getting uh, offensive support a lot, right? So I just want to give you a few things about Walter Johnson. Um, Johnson received such scant run support through his career. career. He lost 27 games by the score of one to nothing. He suffered 65 shutout losses. And in 1916, for example, Johnson had a brilliant 189 ERA, but still lost 20 games. Now, he was known as the big train. And in later years, upon seeing Bob Feller throw his hard one, Johnson admitted that he had thrown hotter in his days. Now, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to play you a recording from the Glory of the Times. Uh, and uh, if, you've, if you have not listened to the Glory of the Times, I strongly recommend it. Uh, it's, it's several hours of listening to these old-time baseball players that you will never want back. You'll, you'll listen to it. I've listened to it multiple times. It's just amazing to listen to these guys. Um, and... Uh, and beyond this recording, I also have Johnson um, from 1937, where he did. Um, he he was the broadcaster, and I'm not playing that after the um, after I'm done here. 
But um, but I will have a link to that if you want to check it out. That's on my YouTube channel, This Day in Baseball. Uh, you, it's worth checking out and listening to him. It's about an hour and fifteen minutes, but it's 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 riveting to to listen to Johnson. So um, all these players: Walter Johnson, Sam Rice, Ty Cobb. All on thisdayinbaseball.com. Check out their pages. I got links right below uh, in the show notes. And all you have to do is click on them. Um, and before I get to the audio from Glory of the Times, if you could just take a minute to like, follow, subscribe, and share our show. Uh, and if you have a special date, player, or event, uh, please consider you know making that page your own. Make a dedication on that page. Um, those dedications allow us to improve the site and the content that we're bringing you today that uh, that you love. On to the show, and I'll see you at the ballpark. Season after season, the Washington Senators were one of the least impressive teams in baseball. But in the summer of 1907, their fortunes suddenly brightened. On August 2nd, 1907, I encountered the most threatening sight I ever saw on a ball field. He was only a rookie, and we licked our lips as we warmed up. Evidently, manager Pongo Joe Cantillon had picked a rube out of the cornfield of the deepest bushes to pitch against us. He was a tall, shambling galoot, with arms so long they hung far out of his sleeves and with a sidearm delivery that looked unimpressive at first glance. One of the Tigers imitated a cow mooing, and we hollered, Get the pitchfork ready, Joe. Your hayseed's on the way back to the barn. The first time I faced him, I watched him take that easy wind-up. And then something went past that made me flinch. The thing just hissed with danger. We couldn't touch him. Every one of us knew we'd met the most powerful arm ever turned loose in a ballpark. Ty Cobb. Earlier that season, Washington manager Joe Cantillon had received a report about a 19-year-old pitcher said to be tearing up the Idaho State League. This boy throws so fast you can't see him, the scout said, and he knows where he is throwing because if he didn't, there would be dead bodies all over Idaho. Walter Perry Johnson was a modest country boy from Humboldt, Kansas, with broad shoulders, long arms, and a curious motion that delivered the ball faster than any other pitcher had before him, and perhaps none has since. He was a Kansas farm boy, but when he was found by the scouts for the Washington Senators, he was pitching in a league in Idaho, 1,500 miles away. And the very idea of the scout traveling out there and finding this unlikely league, and, and in that league finding a diamond, a true jewel like Johnson, it represents to me this, this notion of the game's national spread and national appeal. Still, he was cautious. Before signing up, he asked for a return ticket home, just in case things didn't work out back east. Things did work out. Johnson hurled the ball so fast that one batter left the box after two swings. The umpire told him he had a third swing coming. I know, he said, and you can have the next one. It won't do me any good. 
There's only one way to time Johnson's fastball, said Bertie McCree. When you see the arm start forward, swing. Another batter simply shook his head. You can't hit what you can't see. Well, Walter Johnson probably wasn't a patch on some of the fastball pitchers uh, we have today. It's not that a pitcher throws faster than anybody else in history, but did he throw much faster than the people of his time? And certainly Johnson did. Uh, in the words of the umpire, Billy Evans, you know, said, was it hard to call a game that Walter Johnson was pitching when you would call the balls a strike? Did the players second-guess you much? And he said, well, it wasn't really that hard. They wouldn't second-guess me because not only were my eyes closed, their eyes were closed, too. Walter Johnson's record of 110 shutouts still stands. He once held the New York Highlanders scoreless three times in four days. And although he rarely had the backing from the Senators that he deserved, he managed to win 417 games over his career and to win 20 or more games for 10 successive seasons. The relentless velocity of his pitching won him the nickname Big Train. Sometimes he's referred to as a legend. He isn't a legend. A legend, according to Webster, is, uh, has yet to be proved. It is, it's a bit mythical. There's nothing mythical about Walter Johnson. He existed and was probably the best pitcher of all time. New York writers were determined to make Christy Matheson the best pitcher of the pitcher hero of all time and in that sense they were tended to ignore Walter Johnson they couldn't do this because Walter Johnson surpassed Matheson in so many ways if Walter Johnson were pitching for a team that had the winning percentage of Matheson's Giants there would have been no contest but for all Johnson's skill and speed there was one hitter whom he could not seem to intimidate, a young Georgian playing for Detroit, who soon found a way to get hits off Johnson. Walter Johnson was a kindly man, the Georgian explained, and never really wanted to hurt anybody. It was useless to try for more than a single off Johnson. You had to poke and try to meet the ball. If you swung, you were dead. After he told me he was afraid he might kill a hitter, I used to cheat. I'd crowd the plate till I was actually sticking my toes on it, knowing he'd be so timid that he'd pitch me wide. Then with two balls and no strikes, he'd ease one up to get it one over. That's the Johnson pitch I hit. Ty Cobb.